Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Last week, we talked about number one, which is the supernatural lifestyle, and we saw many healings, confirmed healings, uh, two weeks ago. Um, and then last, uh, what was it? Oh, last week, in, in giving you the seven uh, areas of advancing, I talked about um, the fact that I would like everyone to read the book, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth by Chris Vallotton. Um, a, a very generous couple in our church donated a big box of those for free. So if you don't have $12 on Amazon, there is a free copy for you at the back. Please go to the Connect table. Now, don't just take a book to be like, I got a free book. I want you to read it cover to cover. It is an easy read. Uh, Chris is a great author that really helps to break down content complex truths in a very simple way, but man, I double dog dare you to, to advance in the area of your finances and we break off poverty from our church and, and that's our job is we want to equip you. So all of the sermons, at least until I run out of steam, all of the sermons are going to be surrounding those seven topics um, in one of those seven topics. So today I want to tackle discipleship and here at the church, we have several tools to help you um, grow in your discipleship and then to help you disciple other people. Um, last week was the kickoff of our U groups. These are our small groups that meet during the week. And um, that's what I want to talk about today because sometimes people think that we're a church that has U groups. No, we're a church made up of U groups. What we do on Sunday morning, this is great, this is celebratory, this is wonderful, we can all have a, a chicken bowl or pork bowl at the end, but we don't do that every week, by the way, visitors. We're doing that special because you're here today. And um, <laughs> welcome to church. Here's a bowl of pork. Um, um, where was I going with that? Uh, U-groups. Yeah, the whole message is on U-groups. Thanks. I should know what I'm doing. Don't worry. I do this for a living. Um, so we're not a church that has U-groups. We are a church made up of U-groups. Like in the same way that, that the physical body is made up of different parts, and if you break those down into little, you know, microscopic, the human body is actually made up of, of many, many interconnected cells. And one of the worst things that's happened during COVID in the last two years is we have become not interconnected, we have become disconnected. And we have social distanced ourselves to the point where depression and suicide is at an all-time high. And people are, are struggling with fear and anxiety and, and, and alcohol addiction and weed addiction and porn addiction is through the roof right now. We don't need social distancing, we need social connectivity more now than ever before. Because in the human body, healthy cells, all of the cells being healthy, make up a healthy body. And in the Bible, we are often used, as the church is referred to as the body of Christ. So if our cells individually are healthy, the body, the church, will be healthy. So although you groups are uncommon groups, um, we didn't invent these, God did. Uh, so my, my first point of the day is, you groups are biblical, and I'm going to give you some scripture on how important these small breakout groups are to the Lord. It started actually back in the Old Testament. Moses was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt through the desert, 40 years in the desert, but you got to remember, there's like two plus million people in the desert, and Mo is trying to like lead all of them. And he's like working 25 hours a day, probably smoking two packs a day. He's totally stressed out. He can't keep pots of coffee flowing. I'm not saying that Moses smoked, by the way. I'm just, it, my point is, my brother was stressed out. So his father-in-law, Jethro, comes. He's like, Mo, man, I'm so proud of you, you know, leading all these people. You know, you're the, the, the president of the United States of Israel and two million people, and, but you are dying because you're trying to lead all of them. 
you've got to divide them up into smaller groups. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21. He said, select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and they hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, groups of 100, groups of 50, even groups of 10. So in, in, in our church culture, a you group of about 10 people, that's a healthy sized group because the key to these smaller groups is fellowship is building relationships with one another. Everybody sharing, everybody listening to one another, everybody encouraging one another. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and he split up the nation of Israel into groups of thousands and hundreds and fifties all the way down to little groups of, of 10. And it was better for the people and it was better for the leaders and it was better for Moses because that's how he was able to lead a huge group was by having many, many, many smaller interconnected groups. So this is important that we would get into a group of about 10 people so that we're sitting shoulder to shoulder in somebody's living room or sitting shoulder to shoulder in a bonjourno coffee shop as it, that we, we rub up against each other. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron is what sharpens iron. So one friend at Uncommon Church will sharpen another friend. We've got so many people that are spiritually dull because they're not ever getting sharpened because they're not ever sitting shoulder to shoulder with anybody in a small environment. So as we advance in our discipleship, I want us to advance in our small groups. So that's how it, things started when God split people up into small groups. Fast forward into the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and he wins American Idol and everybody's like, yeah, it's the Messiah. And then he returns to heaven and the message of Jesus has to spread. Is American Idol still a thing, by the way? It can't be. Seriously? It's just, it's not the same as when we all watched it 15 years ago. Um, who's Randy? Dog, dog, dog. You got to be, you got to have some gray hair over your ears to know what I'm talking about. So, um, I shouldn't have taken that rabbit trail because now I don't know where I am. The message of Jesus was spreading like wildfire. And in, in about 25 years, as you read from like the end of, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it goes into the book of Acts, and then you follow the story of the gospel, the church went from 120 people to about 100,000 people. That's a huge church, 100,000 people, and that's just in Israel. 100,000 people, like you can't fit, unless they built a Jerry world right in the middle of Jerusalem, you can't even fit 100,000 people together under one roof. So the way that the church grew wasn't in a church building, the church grew in people's homes. In Acts chapter one, you got 120 people that believe in Jesus and they're in the upper room and they're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But then in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit is poured out. People experience the fire of God, the power of God, praying in other tongues. And then it says that 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus, got saved and were baptized. Acts chapter two and verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple every day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And look at this. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. So they worshiped in the temple in the big group. And then they met individually in people's homes. And verse 47 again. Every single day the Lord added to their number those in their fellowship of those that were being saved. The body got bigger by growing in smaller cells. And then in Acts chapter three, we start to see signs and wonders and miracles and the, 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 the man who was lame was healed and then forget about it. Then the, the gospel just takes off like wildfire. Acts chapter four, many of the people who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed, sorry ladies, it was kind of a chauvinistic society and they only counted men, but you were there too, 
children, you were counted too. So about 5,000 men got saved in Acts chapter four. What is that, 20, 25,000 people got born again in Acts chapter four? So in just two chapters, we've gone from 120 to 50,000, who knows how many. Acts chapter five, the religious leaders start to get mad. And the same people that crucified Jesus are going after the church and they're starting to arrest the leaders in the church and there's opposition. And you would think that when there's opposition, the people would scatter. But Acts chapter six, verse one says that the believers multiplied rapidly. No longer are we adding to their number because of the, 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 the belief in something that is hard and something that is difficult and something that is challenging. Then the people were like, oh, well then if they're against it, then I'm for it. And the church multiplied. Fast forward to Acts chapter 21. Paul is on his a missionary journey going around the world preaching the gospel. He returns to Jerusalem to kind of give an update. And it says in Acts chapter 21 that there were tens of thousands of those that believed in Jesus. So how did a church grow that fast in 20 years? I'll tell you. It wasn't temple worship. Acts chapter five and verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. So you get a picture in the ancient world. See, we always think of things with an American, you know, modern mind. Think of things in the ancient Jewish world in Jerusalem. They would go to the temple for corporate worship. The temple was a holy place for the Jews, and only one guy could go into the temple. Meaning that worship was outside in the temple courts. Meaning that in Jerusalem, it gets cold and it snows sometimes. And yet they're in the temple courts worshiping God. And in the summer, let's not forget, it's the Middle East. And it's 105 degrees and they're outside in the temple courts. The church didn't have a building. They didn't have air conditioning. It didn't have heat. It didn't have chairs with little soft squishy squishies. It was just like they didn't go to the church that served them the best. They just went to worship God. And what they got out of it wasn't important. Them giving worship was important. So that was how the church was worshiping corporately. But where did the discipleship come in? Where did the nitty gritty of growing your faith and learning more about Jesus and hearing the stories of what Jesus did? House to house, small groups all over the city, large group worship on Saturday, Friday night, small group fellowship, small group discipleship. Uncommon needs to continue to grow larger while growing smaller at the same time. Larger on Sundays, smaller on a Monday night, on a Thursday morning. The Jerusalem church was also a great example for the Gentiles that were gonna get born again because the apostle Paul took the same model all over the Mediterranean world and he was preaching the same thing. Let's have these larger worship services and Paul would teach everybody the things of the Lord but then let's all also meet in smaller churches that meet in the home. Romans chapter 16, Paul is giving a shout out to all the different Roman church leaders and he says to Priscilla and Aquila in verse five, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. He wrote a letter to Philemon. He said, Philemon, my beloved co-worker and his sister, Aphia, and the fellow soldiers, uh, Archippus, and, and to the church that meets in your house. In Colossae, he said, please give my greetings to all the brothers and sisters from Laodicea, from Nympha, and the church that meets in her house. So number one, small groups, you groups are biblical. Number two, you groups are personal. How did the church grow so fast? How did people grow in their discipleship? How did, after a few years of pagan religion in Rome, 
This little Jewish sect grew to become a worldwide Gentile thing that overthrew and became the state religion of Rome. It didn't happen in large groups. It happened over dinner tables. It happened over coffee tables. It happened in, in, in private conversations. It happened at Bongiorno. It happened on, on Zoom on a Wednesday morning at 6.30 out in Keller. Can I get an amen, fellas? Come on, somebody. Because it's in those smaller groups that you fellowship. You build relationship. You know people's names. You can question, hey, I don't understand. Tell me the difference between this and that. You can say, hey, I'm struggling with something. I'm struggling with this sickness. I'm struggling with this addiction. I'm struggling in our marriage. I'm struggling in my finances. Does anybody have any, can, can you encourage me? Something from the Bible I can learn? Can you pray for me? Let me tell you this. Statistically, if you don't have seven intentional, interconnected personal relationships in a church, you will leave that church within one year. You'll visit other churches, and eventually you'll watch online, and then you'll just stop going altogether. That's the statistical pattern of what's been happening in the last 10 years. No offense to you online people. I love online people. I'm assuming you're sick or you're, you're um, compromised in some way. If you're perfectly healthy, I have no idea why you're watching online. Must be present to win. <laughs> Must be present to eat Hawaiian bowls after church today. But for everybody else, I love you. You have to build seven intentional relationships. Seven people in the church have to know your name. And if not, you're gonna fade away. Like this church in particular is not a good spectator church. So I, I do see a lot of visiting faces and you're like, would this be a good church for me to just observe and not participate? No. <laughs> Keep looking. We are a full contact church that's gonna hold your hand. By the way, didn't it feel good to hold hands and pray? It felt dirty. Like it was like, hey, Craig, hey, Monique. <laughs> I just feel like, I just wanna walk around like, Somebody spray me with something. <laughs> no, it felt good. Just join together hands. And that's how we used to date in the youth group. Remember that? You'd be like, oh, please, youth pastor, please say we get to hold hands. You'd be like, all right, let's hold hands and pray. You're like, yes. <laughs> Sweaty palm 14-year-olds. You've all been there. In a church of, our church is now four or 500 people. We're not gonna know everybody's name, but how about seven people's name? And seven people know your name. Like, you don't need to know everybody, but you need to know some people. So let me break it down real practically. What does a U group do for us? And what does a U group, if, if, if I go to the, 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 the Monday night, isn't there a Bible study Monday night somewhere? Woo! woo, okay, it must be. We got a woo, so that's a yes. If I go to a Monday night Bible study, what should I be looking out for? Acts chapter two and verse 42. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So when you attend one of these you groups, that's what you're signing up for. Studying the Bible together, fellowshipping with one another, taking communion, praying for each other, eating meals together, prophesying over each other, laying hands on each other, encouraging each other, helping each other move on a Saturday morning. Was, was, that, was that not in there? <laughs> call your you group, don't call me. Man, when the church was small, we were like 40 people, I felt like every Saturday morning we were moving somebody. <laughs> Thank God for church growth. Um, <laughs> why are you groups so important? Because I've told this story before, 
so all you first-time visitors have probably heard it. Um, I've told the story before that Josie's family had a small farm in Sweden for a while, and um, we spent a whole, well, almost a year, we spent like nine months there. Um, and we were missionaries overseas, and we were leaving one country and going to another country, so we, we did a long sabbatical at the, the farm in Sweden. And um, one of the easiest ways to keep the, the pastures like down with the grass and weeds wouldn't overgrow is we got sheep. So for a year, I was a shepherd, and I, I learned a lot that year. Um, and it, it's an amazing animal, but I, we had these fences, and there's wolves in Sweden. But I, I would notice it's just like in the stories and the analogies, the sheep really do flock together. And like if one sheep would kind of be like, whatever, 10, 20, 30, 50 feet away, and he, just kind of, he was just kind of following the good grass, and then somebody would go, ah, and he would look up and realize he's all by himself, and he'd be like, well, got to get back in the middle of the group. <laughs> Why? because the sheep on the outside of the flock gets eaten. Or you watch those antelope videos where there's like a, a, a bunch of antelope eating and one guy's kind of, you know, herbs kind of wandering off looking for the good grass and then the cheetah comes in a full sprint. It looks something like this. While remaining a part of the herd, antelope find strength in numbers. With a large group, it's harder for predators to pick out individuals. Being the fastest animal on land has its advantages. Traveling over 71 miles per hour, the cheetah chases down its prey. Outside of the group, the antelope is found alone and is no match for this predator. <laughs> Being in a U group could be spiritual life or death. Come on, somebody. Let somebody else get eaten. Let somebody else get attacked by the devil. I'm going to be in the middle of my you group. They're the ones that are going to protect me. Basically, a you group operates like a little church. And you love each other and you build relationships with one another. You protect each other. You connect. You really care for one another. And as the, 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 the church grows, yeah, we're not going to know everybody's name. We're already at that place now. Where I, if you don't go through growth track, I, I will not know your name. If you go through tr growth track, there's a small chance I will know your name. <laughs> if you're visiting, our growth track is a one-hour class we do after church um, to help you get um, connected to this church family, get you plugged into this church family. Uh, we always do growth track one on the first Sunday of the month. So two weeks from today, on February 6th, that's the first Sunday of the month, would you please join us for growth track one? We want to get connected. I want to learn your name so I can forget it a month later. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, two months. The point is, <laughs> when the church was small, I used to go to the hospital and visit people in the hospital all the time, um, but as a church, it's just impossible to go to the hospital with you know, 500 people in the church. So that's where um, we have obviously some staff pastors, but that's also like where you group people, they go and, and they help to, to do that. There's a great story I, I read in Rick Warren's book on small groups. Rick Warren's a pastor of Saddleback Church out in California, and he's literally written the book on small groups. And uh, in there, there's a great story, this is now years ago, but um, that church, Saddleback Church, I don't know, it's probably 40,000 people. I mean, it's a mega, mega church. And it's a great church. But um, it started like in Rick's living room with like 20 people. And one of the founding original, you know, like, like OG Saddleback people that was with Rick back in the old days, um, I, I think he had a heart attack. I can't quite remember the story. It's been so long since I read the book. But let's say it was a heart attack and had to have open heart surgery and they, they saved his life. That's great. So Rick's like, oh, you know, old, old Billy Bob, I, I better go visit him myself. 
So he goes up to the hospital. He says, hey, you know, I'm here to see, you know, Billy Bob Johnson. Uh, oh, yes, sir, it's gonna be room 447. He goes upstairs, comes off the elevator to the nurse's counter. He's like, hey, I'm here. I'm, uh, here. I'm a pastor. I'm here to see Billy Bob. And she goes, no, no more pastors can see him today. He's exhausted. He's worn out. <laughs> and Rick's like, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm Rick Warren. I wrote the book. And she's like, no, too many pastors have come to see him today. He needs a break, come back tomorrow. So she leaves, and he does what all lead pastors do. They just ignore the rules, and he starts moseying down to 447. He goes in, and he opens the door, and the guy goes, Billy Bob goes, am I dying? I said, no. He's like, you don't visit people in the hospital anymore, so I figure if I'm here, you're here to tell me I'm terminal. He's like, no, dude, you were, you're OG, man. You helped us start the church. I, I just wanted to visit you and pray for you. He said, oh, pastor, I've, I've had every member of my U group here. Actually, they're small groups. I've had every member of my small group here all, all afternoon. I'm good, man. I've prayed for. I'm believing in faith. I'll be getting out of here soon. He was so proud of his church for responding and surrounding him with such love that too many pastors had come to visit. He wasn't alone in that hospital bed. When we don't get plugged into a church, when we don't get plugged into a U group, when we don't serve on a dream team, we're so alone. But Proverbs chapter 18, one says, a man who isolates himself seeks only his own desires. He rages against wise judgment. Like if you hear this message and you're like, oh, that was nice. No, I'm not joining a group. You're raging against wise judgment. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be plugged in. I don't need to go through your growth track. I don't need to serve on a team. I'll just watch online. In fact, I don't even need any church. I'll just read my utmost for his highest when I'm sitting on the pot. That'll be my church. That's most Americans' Christianity right there. Your grandmama's dusty copy of my utmost for his highest. Cells in the body that are not connected to other cells die. Ecclesiastes chapter four and verse 12. A person who stands alone can be attacked and defeated. That's that sheep and antelope analogy. Two people can stand back to back and conquer. That's a small you group, but it'll work. Three are even better because a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Over the last two years, since March of 2020, we have faced some pretty heavy things as a people. Imagine all of 2020, 2021 was like a, an anvil over your head like one of those like Acme cartoon anvils. And it's being held up by a single strand of rope. And the rope is stretching and cracking and breaking and you about to get your head smashed in by the last two years. Imagine that same anvil is being held up by a triple braided cord of other Dream Team members, other U Group members, people that are gonna protect you from getting your head crushed by the last two years. See, we're sheep. The Bible often talks about us as sheep and that Jesus is the good shepherd, that we are in the pasture. Sheep are a herd animal. They have no defense system. That's why they flock together. Like, what is a sheep gonna do when the wolf comes? Just be like, no, don't eat me. Make it quick. They have no defense system. That's, their defense system is the flock. Your defense system is this church to protect one another. And I'll often hear this from people be like, well, pastor, I mean, how you doing? Well, pastor, I, I'll be honest with you. I just, I feel like I've been in a spiritual desert. Like God's just not speaking to me and it's just kind of a, a spiritual desert. Oh, 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 what you group are you in? Oh, well, pastor, I'm not in a group this semester. Oh, what team do you serve on? Oh, pastor, I don't serve on a dream team. I'm not, I don't do ushers. I don't do tech. I don't do kids. I don't do welcome. I don't do worship. I just do me. God's not being silent. 
If you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, when God speaks, he speaks through people. So God's talking, you're just not there Tuesday night at seven o'clock to listen. When you're independent of people, God is speaking, but you're not putting yourself in a position to hear. At Uncommon Church, you groups is one of, but I'd probably say the biggest tool to help you put down roots in your discipleship. It's so important that you get connected and you put those roots down. Every time I think about roots, I remember the story. I was a freshman in high school. My sister had just gone off to college. One of her high school buddies who stayed back and um, had started like a landscape business. So my sister got me on with him for a summer and I did a few jobs. I, didn't, I guess I wasn't very good because he never, he stopped calling. But um, when you're 14, I don't know. So, but there was one where um, we, we get to the house and there's four of us and, and um, he goes, all right, guys, all these bushes that are old and rotten, we're pulling all these bushes out and we're gonna plant new bushes. So, okay, so, he, you know, Kerrigan, take that shovel and that, that big bush on the end, just start digging around it, uh, get under the root ball and then just start wiggling it and pull that bush out. Yes, sir. So I go over and I get my shovel and I'm digging around, I'm digging around, I'm digging around and just, he said, it's a root ball just underneath it. So I'm, I'm taking the shovel and I'm smashing some of the roots and I'm trying to, and I'm, you know, I'm 14 years old. I mean, I didn't have this amazing physical physique that I have now. And I'm, And I'm working, and it's as if that root ball didn't move like one millimeter. Like, it just kind of laughed at me a little bit, like some of the branches were kind of mocking me. So I, I, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna need some help over here. He's like, yeah, you gotta dig down like under. You gotta get under it. I'm like, oh, I'm okay. So I dig under it, I'm, and I literally have dug all the dirt from around it, but you see all the roots going down. I'm like, I'm under it, so I keep breaking more roots. So now I've got my shovel kind of as a, a lever, Need a smart person, lever. And I've got, it, I've got it like wiggling a little bit. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. And um, so I'm like, I, I still can't get it. So I'm like, can you guys just help me? So all four of us, were, it's the biggest one. It's the biggest one. Of course, it's the biggest one that I'm stuck with. And working around it, we keep breaking, and we keep breaking, and we keep breaking. Finally, all four of us take all four of our shovels and we lift and we lean into it. And, we, and he goes, these roots go halfway down to China. <laughs> That's what I want it to look like with you connected to this church when the devil comes to dig you up, when the devil comes to steal your faith, is that he's like, man, I can't quite get in there. I can't quite get in there. These people are dug down deep in their discipleship. They really love each other. They really protect each other. They have dug deep roots. By the way, we backed up his truck, hook up a chain, yanked it out of the ground. <laughs> I know you were like, how did the story end? It, the, the bush is still there today. The funny thing is, it's like we come together and um, for 21 days, we cry out to the God in prayer. We're like, God, send us revival. And he's like, give me strong roots I can build on or the whole thing's gonna fall apart. God wants unity in the church. The devil always wants the opposite of whatever God wants. So if you're like, no, partner with the devil all you want. Let's partner with God and do his plan. It's so much easier and so much better. We need to be connected to one another. We need to disciple one another. Because people, you know what? I don't know if you've done life very much yet. <laughs> Young people are like, oh, life has been really hard. <laughs> oh. Like married people, like being married's hard. Imagine being married to Josie. <laughs> I love you, just kidding. <laughs> Finances is hard. Not getting into credit card debt is hard. Not wanting to eat your children and leave them outside sometimes is hard. Like raising kids is hard. <laughs> Studying the Bible is hard. 
Like, here's a Bible. It was written two and 3,000 years ago in a couple different languages from a people group on the other side of the, good luck. Okay, where do I start? Definitely not Genesis. <laughs> too much rape and murder <laughs> and incest. Like, let's, let's skip Genesis. John, John's a good place to start. We need each other. We can learn so much from each other. When we face trial, when we face problems, when we're tempted to do things we shouldn't do, we need one another that are not bogged down under the weight of the thing that we're facing. People that have overcome those things. People that see with a different perspective and they get around us and we surround ourselves with people of faith. When we're stuck in a situation that is crushing us, all we see is the problem. But somebody from the group is like, oh, the problem's not that bad. I've beat that problem. Let's, let, you know what? Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He'll restore your hope and your faith. And the biggest problem is self-inflicted pain. Like when we do dumb, I don't know about you, my wife rarely ever does dumb. I feel like I do dumb all the time. And self-inflicted pain, is, it, it's like we're digging our own pit and we get stuck in the bottom of this pit and then we're, we're dealing with pain, anxiety, we're dealing with addiction. We, we've got an addiction to weed, alcohol, porn, you know, whatever, food. We get ourselves into a pit of financial trouble. We, we, we just, we, it's like the walls are so high and we can't get out and we've jumped into the pit and we're like, well, now I'm stuck in here. But the good news is you see a doctor walk by. You're like, hey, 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 doc. I, I got stuck in this pit. Can you write me a script? Can you get me out? Can you help me? So the doctor writes a script, but then he just throws it into the hole and keeps walking. He's like, oh. He sees a priest walk by. Hey, hey, father, I'm down in this pit. Can you help me out? The father writes down a prayer, throws it in the hole and keeps walking. And then he sees somebody walk by from his you group. He's like, hey, bro, it's me. I got stuck down in this hole of, of addiction. I got stuck down in this hole of financial trouble. I got stuck down in this hole of marriage trouble. I got stuck in this hole. And the friend's like, and jumps in the hole with him. He's like, what are you, stupid? Now we're both stuck in here. <laughs> and the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Like, well, I'm really struggling with my addiction to alcohol. I'm really struggling with addiction to porn. I'm really struggling with meth. I'm really struggling with weed. I'm really struggling. There's people in this church that have overcome everything you said and more. We've got people that have been abused and they're restored and they're thriving and they have hope and joy. We've got people that have been hurt by church and, 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 and bad leaders and they've been totally, now they're leaders in the church. We've got people that have been heroin addicts. We've got people that were homosexuals. We've got people that were in debt. Like, I've, when I hear some of their testimonies, I'm like, that's a lot of debt. Like, I can't even understand how you own your own home today and how you smile and don't just sit on the toilet all day with that much debt. <laughs> but there's people that are willing to jump in that pit and help show you the way out. Last week, I mentioned finances, and I said, we have places that can, people that'll help you get out of financial trouble. Six people were like, I need help to get out of financial trouble. So Tony and Cindy Gleghorn, they're one of the testimonies that when they first got married, they did everything wrong financially and got into, how much debt were you in, Tony? $200,000 worth of debt. Doesn't that make you nauseous? It makes me sweat a little. Tony, are you still in $200,000 worth of debt? I love that he laughed. So here's what's gonna happen, yeah, God. So those six people are gonna meet with Tony and Cindy next week.
for a special class to help go over the biblical principles to get out of debt. It's gonna take, it, it, you didn't get into that mess all at once. You're not gonna get out of that. Tony and Cindy love you, but they're not gonna give you money to get out of debt. They're gonna give you, they're gonna teach you how to fish. And it will work. They're the perfect example of that. If you would like to join that class next week, I want you to pull out a connect card from the seat back in front of you, put your name, phone number, email address, and say, I need to be a part of that financial class next week. Drop it in the offering buckets on your way out the door. And they'll, somebody from IRA will get a hold of you and invite you to that class. Another thing we advertise is Freedom Track. Some of you have been putting off signing up for Freedom Track. It's in two weeks. Like you're like, oh, I'll sign up next time. This is, the, this is next time. Pull out your phone, go to uncommonchurch.tv, either go to events or go to ministries, scroll down to Freedom Track and sign up, register today. It's an eight-week class that meets after church. It starts in two weeks. If you have had financial trouble, if you have had abuse trouble, if you have had addiction trouble, if you have had marriage trouble, if, you have, if you've been through the seventh grade, you probably need to take Freedom Track because seventh graders are awful little people. Sorry, seventh graders, I love you. You're my favorite. But your friends are awful people that say untrue things. And we want to speak what the Bible says about you. People always come to me like, hey, do you think I should take Freedom Track? I'm like, I don't know. Tell me your story. Yes, you should take Freedom Track. doesn't matter what your story is. Take it. It'll help you. Let's finish this thing. Psalm chapter 68. God will place the lonely in families. Leave that verse up for a while. This is a family. You belong here. You belong here at this church. You belong in a U group. You belong in the family of God. Hop up on your feet. Let's, let's just land the plane right here. You belong in the family of God. 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus wrote up adoption papers. He signed them in his own blood and your name is written across the top of that. All you have to do is accept the adoption. Die to your old self. Live for Jesus. Open up your heart to receive that relationship with him. I feel like there's people here today, and I said it an hour ago, that have been hurt by the church. From the bottom of my heart, I'm so sorry that you experienced that. Churches would be awesome if there weren't all the people in them. Pastors would be amazing if they weren't people. So I do dumb, pastors have done dumb, and if they've hurt you in the past, I'm so sorry. All I know is probably half of this church is built from people that are recovering church addicts, that God is healing their broken hearts from bad church experiences. This is a safe place for you to get involved in the family of God. And I, I, I double dog dare you to, to humble yourself before God, repent of your sin. Some of you have, have wandered so far from God. God puts the lonely in families. This is your family. We'll protect you, we'll fight for you, we'll pray for you, we'll encourage you. Sometimes, like, like families do, we'll hold you in a headlock. Like, why does, he, why does Pastor Brad talk so rough with me? He's just a big brother holding you in a headlock. Do you learn? Do you listen? I'm not gonna patty cake things. Things are too weird and scary out there for, for a pastor to get up and patty cake you and just limp-wristed, mamby-pamby, kumbaya. You're okay. Everything's okay. Things are not okay. And they're gonna get worse. So you, you need to really know Jesus. You need to really know what the Word says. And this is that time. This is that moment. For, for, for me and my story, my mom, I wasn't a part of a Christian family. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was just lost and broken. Somebody invited her to a Bible study in 1977. I think it was a Wednesday night Bible study. 
and she went and she heard the good news about Jesus. She gave her life to Jesus. It was a life-changing moment for my mom, for me, for you. Because we wouldn't be standing here and I wouldn't be your preacher if it weren't for that one Wednesday night in 1977. For some of you, your kids and grandkids are gonna talk about a church service in Texas in January of 2020 when my mom or my dad or my so-and-so got right with Jesus. This is your day. So I'd like to lead you in that prayer. I can't pray it for you. It has to be your prayer. You've gotta believe it in your heart. But I can lead you, especially those of you that are watching online, you, were, you thought I'd forgot about you. I never forget about online people. Your heart's probably beating out of your chest. You got like a cold sweat. You're like, I gotta get right with God today. Yes, you do. So for those that are watching online and those that are here, if, if you wanna pray that prayer with me, with every head up and every eye open. Oh, no, 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 do the eyes closed, head down thing. No, Jesus was crucified naked in front of all of Jerusalem. We're gonna pray and get right with God with our eyes open. Is that all right? We're grownups. And I can't see you if you raise your hand at home, but I, but I want you to still do it in your living room. Do it in your car, do it in that bedroom. I still want you to raise your hand. If you're here this morning and you need to get right with God for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you shoot your hand up real high right now and say, preacher, pray for me. Today's my day to get right with God. I see your hand over there. Is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand up real high and say, today's my day to get right with God. Good. I see your hand over there. Is there anybody else? Good. Come on. Good, yay God, yay God, yay God. I couldn't quite see you, but I saw two people in this room. What about you at home? Just shoot your hand out right before God. If, if you believe it in your heart, why don't we all pray this prayer out loud together? Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent, I surrender. I'm gonna stop running from you. I'm gonna run to you. Forgive me, wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive the adoption into your family. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for restoring my hope, for giving me a future. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Help me, Lord, to live it out, to be a disciple, to grow strong roots of faith, in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Hey, for the two of you and you at home online, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.